Today, we start a brand new series on how to build long-term teams. Welcome back to From the Field. My name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the founder of Telio, a formation ministry for pastors. And my name is Tyler Dravitz. I'm the executive pastor at Ridgeline Church and also the co-founder and president of MyXP, a ministry where we provide remote executive pastor support, coaching, bookkeeping, those types of things to different churches around the country. And today we're going to start a brand new series that thankfully is not COVID related. I'm, I've hit a wall this week. I can't talk about, I just need a break from talking break about from COVID. COVID. A break from COVID. Okay, I need to share one. I, I saw a meme okay. that I think we can top off our COVID and we'll move on. Okay, perfect. Okay. Go All ahead. right, so it's it's like one of, you know, you've seen a million of these. Yeah. I think we've referenced them because I feel like I have gotten through COVID. Through memes. Thanks to some of these. Yeah. And there's actually just a few people that I, I've even messaged them. I don't even know them all. And I'm like, you have gotten me through COVID. Thank <laughs> you. But this one's hilarious. So it's, it's a conversation between God and then Gabriel. And so God is talking first and he says, Gabriel, have you finished setting up future events for the 2020s? Gabriel responds, yes, God, I have. Wait, did you say 2020s plural as in the decade? <laughs> God, of course. What else? I thought you meant 2020 the year. You put a decade worth of history in one year? <laughs> yes. Oh, no. So I appreciated That's that last time. That's pretty much and, and somebody messed up something. I, yeah. I've decided that for sure. I don't yeah. know if it was Gabriel or somebody else, but yeah. somebody did I know for that sure. God doesn't make mistakes, but I don't think the Bible says angels. Are, <laughs> That's so right. They're not flawless. They screwed something They've up. done some bad things. So, yeah. so we're going we're gonna to talk about... Uh, building long-term teams. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's unique about our story, yeah. uh, comparative to a lot of other church planters or pastors that that we know, is we, we've had a lot of the same people around us, even mm -hmm. in multiple places for yeah. a lot of years. I mean, you and I have been friends for since my freshman year, your eighth grade year. Oh, I've lost count. It's like 25-ish years. Yeah. Um, we've served in four different churches together. Mm-hmm. Um, and planted two, pastored in three together. Um, so we've been together for a long time. But we have, you know, friends that moved from Chicago here to Salt Lake City, friends mm -hmm. that moved from North Carolina here yep. that had all been in ministry with us and continue to, to be. And oftentimes what we see in a lot of churches is I've even had coaches tell me in the past, the people that start with you never finish with you, yeah. that you should plan to turn over your entire launch team inside of 12 months. Yeah. I've had a coach tell me that yeah, before. Yeah, sure. And uh, I know that happens. Um, that has never been our experience no. in planting two different churches. Yep. And um, so I'm super, I, I don't have like research to back this up. So it's just experiential. I just think that that's absolute trash. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, so do some, do people come and go from the church? Absolutely. Yeah. Like sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes people suck and yeah. they leave your church. And like yeah. there's all of those things are true. true. But the idea that it is normative that this group of people rally around you for a season of time and then they all leave you, I reject that premise. Totally. And I think it creates a uh, picture of uh, kind of this brokenness in a church planner's mind in particular that will cause them to stay guarded. And yeah. then it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Totally. You know, I shouldn't get too close to these people because they're going to leave me anyway. Yeah. I think the other thing that it does is I feel like it gives you... 
it removes any need for self-reflection when people leave. Like, yeah. I think anytime someone leaves your church, yeah. unless they're, like, moving away for sure. a job or something, there, it, there, is, a, there is reason to, to pause and to reflect yep. on, like, what do I need to learn from this? Do I have responsibility in this? And sometimes it's no, yeah. but, but by and large, there is something to learn. And I think if what we're trained in is everybody's going to leave inside yeah. the first year, then you never have to stop and self-reflect and sure. you miss an opportunity to grow when maybe that is not always necessary. Right. So we're going to look at, um, I think we're going to do like four or five weeks mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about um, a, a different point that we've seen that's been really critical just for us yeah. and what we've had to do and face and grow through. And so this week, we're going to start on the personal end, like looking at the, the pastor leader themselves okay. rather than like some structural things. And so we're going to call this Slay Your Dragons. Okay. And we're going to talk about the things in us as leaders that um, are oftentimes the reason that people leave. And sometimes that's really hard for us to acknowledge. We want to like label everybody as bad and they're sinners and they're the problem. And sometimes it's our own stuff sure. that are keeping us from being able to keep people around us. Totally. Right? So yep. we're going to call this Slayer Dragons. I think we've got uh, four or five points that we'll talk about and we'll just kind of go back and forth. But the first one is uh, we have to, have to, have to learn to steward what God has given us. Mm-hmm. So steward what God has given you. This is a passion spot for you. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'll just I'll just kick it off by saying what we're talking about here is this like insatiable desire in so many pastors for more. Yeah. More being more impact, more influence, more people, more bigger buildings, yep. bigger mo- like everything is bigger yep. and more. The, more the, budget, more, more money. Budget. What's yep. dangerous about it is it's so easy, because I can say this because I did it for like a full decade. Yeah. It's so easy to baptize it in this like missional cleansing oh. water that is like, well, we're just expanding the kingdom of God and we're trying to make more disciples. And and I just think that it's so easy for that to go sideways in our hearts sure, and to really, really destroy some people that live in relationship with us and serve around us. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, if you've listened to the podcast long, you know that I don't like unprecedented and I don't like some yeah. of those things. And I would have to put that like catchphrase of for the kingdom yeah. as just this like kind of like canned phrase that sometimes gets used way too much as another one that just, it just makes my skin crawl yeah. because it think, justifies every, you, yeah. you, we just use it to justify sure. everything we do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and sometimes you've got to replace people. Well, it's for, you know, we're, we're trying to grow. That person's no longer cutting it. It's for the kingdom. And yeah. uh, it does, it really does. It's kind of, like the trump card mm-hmm. to everything that uh, that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you said something when we were talking about when we were talking about this yesterday yeah. about the parable of the talents that yeah. I thought was a really important insight that I had never really thought about before. So sure. just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think so. There's all kinds of things that you can. Uh, see in biblical stories and mm-hmm. like and learn from. I think that there's a lot of times that we can also see what's not there mm-hmm. uh, and learn from I think that that's as well. Such a good point. And I really think that uh, you know, as you look at the, you know, I think that I have a few like go to mm-hmm. Bible stories 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Every t- oh man, Every but time. even if not, yeah, but even but if even not. if not, I mean, I'm having that, that put on your tombstone. Oh geez, I've got it hanging <laughs> in a in my guest bedroom. I got like that. Just like <laughs> like if if I am ever in a crunch and need yeah. to do a sermon, Shadrach, Meshach, yeah. and Abednego. Here we go. Come to think of it, that's that's kind of a disconcerting verse to have in your guest bedroom. Why? I just feel like well, it's just like I don't know. It's just kind of a, it doesn't really fit the vibe like, of my bedroom. Usually so. it's like, <laughs> So it's, you put it over in the, you put the fiery furnace verse over uh-huh, your guest yeah, bedroom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's real welcoming. Listen, yeah. I had somebody stay and they asked me to send them a picture because they liked it. So it. there you go. That's awesome. You're anyway, right. Anyway. Um, parable yeah, of the talents. So that one and then the parable of the talents. And I think one of the things that we were discussing yesterday was just um, what you don't see. So you see, you know, the master come and give, you know, one and five and 10 and mm-hmm. all of those kind of things. And um uh, what you don't see in that, you see like different behaviors from right. each of the, each of the servants, different and, ways they invested. And yeah, and then and the master came back, and all of those kind yeah. of things. The thing you don't see is any amount of jealousy mm-hmm. regarding who got what. Right. So you don't see the one like envious about, well, why didn't I get five? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't see uh, the five like irritated that the other guy got double, and you right. don't see you know the the ten guy like gloating about what he got. You see each of them respond in the way that God's uh, wired them uh, to handle that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, so. We do see you know the person who was only entrusted with one. Uh, behaved in such a way that like it was taken from him and given to someone else. Yeah. And it wasn't that he had one. Right. And it wasn't that like he, it was that he did nothing with it. Yeah. And so the he reflection here, exactly. Yeah. And the reflection is not about the fact that, um, that like the person who had 10 came back with more. It's the fact that the person who had one didn't steward it well. Right. And I think that, you know, the point as it pertains to this conversation is just far too often we spend a lot of time longing for and lusting for what God has not entrusted us with. Yeah. And a lot of time really coveting uh, things that maybe someone else has. And it's not even always just the church down the street. Sometimes it's a church on TV, right. it's a pastor on Twitter, it's a guy who's written a book, it's a, all of it, like whatever the thing is that you don't have and you want, uh, I think we can oftentimes neglect uh, stewarding what God's entrusted us with. So essentially burying it in the ground, whether he's entrusted us with one, five, or 10, mm-hmm. uh, in the pursuit of something that he hasn't entrusted us yeah. with. Yeah, I think I think one of the most practical things, if because I, I mean, I don't think I've probably met too many pastors that would not admit that they've struggled with the comparison thing, at sure. least to some degree. And I think, I just think it's gone to like a 10 with social media because we're just plugged in so much more to so many different people. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's, it's one thing when it was like, you were, you were like comparing yourself to people even at least in your own context, because you understand it. I think now you're also comparing yourself to people in context that you don't even understand, that you don't know anything about, you don't know backstory on. I will say, I don't think I've ever heard a story from like a big church pastor, mega church pastor, where there's not a significant backstory about how that happened. Sure. It is very, very, I'm, I'm not saying it's never happened because I know it has, yep. but it is very rare. We're just like a couple moves into a city where they don't know a single person and 40,000 people show up to church. Sure. Like there's always this really significant backstory that honestly, I think some of the big church pastors are not great at telling. Yeah. And as a result, it sounds like revival. And again, I'm not saying it's not revival, but not in the sense we think about it a lot of the sure. time. 
And I just think that's important for people to keep in mind. Like, so I, I would say practically, if you really struggle with, um, with comparison, especially online, I would eliminate everything in your life that hinders your ability to be focused where you are. That's great. And if that means unfollowing every pastor you know, then who cares? Like, we're all kind of saying the same thing. There's yep. very many, few of us that are like super insightful. Just unfollow all of that and focus where you are. Sure. Yeah. And I think that um, you have to like, know yourself well enough to know mm -hmm. what things to engage in. Cause I even think of, uh, so not only is it, um, a matter of knowing the backstory and sometimes God works in a miraculous way yep. for a reason that we can't understand. Like I remember, uh, you know, so, um, most people are familiar with elevation church yep. and, uh, I'm not here to argue the merits of Stephen Furtick or what yeah. you think about him or anything yep. like that. Other than to say, uh, there have been some different things that they've gone through that mm -hmm. it seems like God just, acted on their behalf. Yeah. Um, and uh, they had a video that came out, man, 10 years, years ago, ago now. Yeah, that yeah, documentary. Some, I think it was yeah. for like their five-year anniversary. Yeah, something like that. And they tell this story of like, they were like, you know, a, a fine-sized church. Mm -hmm. He emptied the bank account to do a helicopter drop on Easter Sunday, drop, an Easter yeah. egg, yeah, an Easter egg drop. And then like their church like went to like 9,000 overnight. <laughs> And I got to tell you, if you're a pastor who then emptied the bank account yeah. for that, re it's it's not a matter of like, and you can say, well, it's for the kingdom, right. but the truth is you saw what, what happened to someone else and you wanted it for you. That's right. really, that's really what it is. And yeah. I think, again, it's not to say that we can't, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, advocating for the fact that no one can have pure motives in the idea that what they're doing is for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's not a matter of, so I'm not saying that everyone who does a helicopter drop is wrong. If you did it in response to watching that video and seeing how yeah. God worked in that way, I think you got some things to think about. Yeah. That's my point. And I, I just think good. that there are things like that, that happen that, um, that God acts and works like in a real, it had nothing to do with mm -hmm. dropping Easter eggs from yeah. a helicopter. That that's just not that spectacular of a thing. It's pretty cool. Yeah, not that spectacular of a thing. Yeah. Um, and and then we try to replicate. We try to. So God has entrusted someone else with something mm -hmm. that we don't have, and we want it for ourselves. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I think one of the greatest. I, I was meeting with a church planter last week, and uh, he was asking me, <clears throat> like, so. What do, you, what do you see in the future, you know, for mm -hmm. you? Like, and his, basically the subtext was like, are you going to be in Utah for forever? Mm -hmm. And my explanation was basically like, well, I've certainly done away with making any sort of predictions about mm -hmm. my future. Cause yep. I did, did that for a long time. I've never had one of them be right. Sure. Um, I'm going to be married to my wife forever. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's outside that one. I don't really know anything sure. else. Um, but I said, but you know, that, that being said, I, I have zero aspiration to go anywhere else and do anything else. Yeah. And he was like, wow, what's, how'd that happen? And it was just like such a foreign, and I could totally relate to that. Like, I sure. don't say that in, as a form of judgment, like for so many years of my life in ministry, I could not relate to that. I was just so restless. Yeah. And I don't, and my short answer to that question is like about two years of seven years of restless, less restlessness, two years of significant pain. Yeah. That's how it happened. Yeah. And, and, and that significant pain came from God essentially giving what I everything wanted. Yeah. that, that was longed for yep. like overnight. Yeah. And it was not all that's cracked up. To no. Me. And so, and I, you know, I still know, cause I know the way that a lot of pastors think some yeah. are going to hear that and think, yeah, but if it was me, 
Oh, yeah. Or if the circumstances sure. were right, and I love you, and your pain's coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and, you, and just, what, you just keep praying that yeah. into, into existence yeah. and see, let me know how that goes. And I, I don't, obviously, I don't wish pain or suffering or trial on anyone. I will say I'm exceptionally thankful for it because the mm. fact that that restlessness is dead in me is one of the great gifts that God's given me. Totally. Like top three gifts God's given me in my whole life. My salvation, my wife, and the fact that I'm not restless anymore. Sure. And my kids, in case they happen to hear this. Yeah, Top somewhere. four. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, because I look at it and I just say that like, uh, so even like looking at, you know, knowing, I'll call it our situation because we're both uh -huh. here. We have a church filled with some of the most amazing people yep. who, um, who are working every day to love Jesus more, mm -hmm. who love us very faithfully. Yep. Uh, God has provided for our church. Um, uh, he's provided for like us to have incomes and things. Like, and so I just like, why isn't that okay? Yeah. Cause it just doesn't matter. I, I know that, you know, you've even talked about, and we, I certainly wouldn't criticize anyone who shares a number of people in their mm -hmm. church. Very few people, including the people in our church have any idea how many people come there yeah. because we don't talk about it. And as yeah. a matter of fact, we stopped counting yeah. a long time ago. Yep. And I think that as a spreadsheet numbers guy, that made me a little twitchy to begin with, but I just found so much freedom in knowing like we want a healthy church mm -hmm. and that's the goal. And, and, and we hope that other people want to be there too. Yeah. And I, you know what? I haven't even told you this. One thing I hate about the current like registration system mm -hmm. is that I know how many people are registered right. yeah. and I hate that. Sure. Because it doesn't matter. Yeah. And and I but I when I look at that registration number, I still have this kind of like old old way. Yeah. Where I feel this like sting of like, oh really? That's how many? Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't matter how we could be like a million people. I think I'm I'm still broken in a way where I'd be like, hmm, only sure. only one million, huh? Well, and I appreciate you sharing that because it's not a matter of us sitting here talking about like how evolved we've become and how that was like yesterday. It's like always right there. Oh, I have to be And on you it. just have to like move beyond. And again, yeah, it's really challenging because literally we have to yeah, do right, that. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're required by the law to do what we're doing right now. Um, but as soon as we're not, we won't again Yeah, because it just doesn't matter. I was reading this morning in Psalm 119 and there's a... Uh, I was reading the message and Eugene Peterson paraphrases this one verse. I can't remember because of the way it's bundled, but he says that I won't take my eyes off your ways for a second. Mm. And I think that's what I'm talking about yeah. is like, like to your point, not that I, I think anytime we start to talk about our sin in the past tense, mm -hmm. in the rear view, oh, I've man. always said this, it's like, it's like the slasher killer from any horror movie. You think they're dead yep. and they're just waiting for you to turn around and then you're going to take a shank to the back yep. and sins like that. And so for me, I still know that the capacity for it is there and I just have to be on that all the time. Yep. And so I just think that this is an area that we all need to be much more sober minded about mm -hmm. and to be focused where we are, grateful for what God's given us, content with that and yeah. be honest about this lust inside sure. of us for more and at least be able to stop baptizing it in like this kingdom language and acknowledge like the truth is I'm super insecure. My ego is this massive roaring inferno that I have to feed constantly. And if I say like, and that just sounds way worse than saying like, well, I just, it's for the kingdom. Sure. And let's be like, let's be people and leaders and pastors who trust that God gives the growth. 
Right. Because the reality is, like, I think one of the most damaging things that I have heard pastors kind of parrot back to me that someone has told them is they have a visiting friend, a visiting person from ministry, a visiting yeah. pastor, and they come and check out the thing, and they think, wow, your pa- your church should be so much bigger, whether it's because you're such a phenomenal preacher, whether it, and, and they yeah. incept these ideas. It reminds yeah. me of, like, the Tom and Jerry cartoons. Make no mistake, that's, like, the devil one on your shoulder. Yeah. Because it does create this world where, like, you're you're trying to convince yourself, no, I deserve more. I right. deserve more than what God's given me, yep. and I can manage manufacture it or I can drive it or that kind of thing. And it's really challenging, I think. Um, and so just being in a situation where we're willing to trust, like, cause the truth is your church might be small and running great. And the church down the street might be a hot mess, mm-hmm. dumpster fire and mm-hmm. running 10 times as many as you just because God knows that you need to grow in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, why churches, some churches grow and others don't is oh, like an endless, like no. you will go insane trying to figure out mm. why that is. I know a lot of church companies that'll do a webinar for you on yeah. it, and it's just not helpful. <laughs> right. We got to get into more webinars. I That's feel like right. you don't even have to know anything, No, and there's just... just so much money to be made. Right. I, we're doing this wrong. We just do a free podcast. <laughs> Uh, all all right. right. So I think that's the biggest yeah. one. So yeah, we spent absolutely. more time there, but steward what God has given you. Uh, our second point we're going to talk about is deliver what you promise. Deliver what you promise. So I would say, I'll frame this one as, um, I know that you know ministries doesn't exactly have a reputation for paying super great. Mm-hmm. So you, when you go, no, very few people that, I mean, I've never met anyone that went into vocational ministry because of the money. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of churches really genuinely can't afford to pay great. Yeah. Um, I still think churches should be able to pay fairly. Yeah. Um, but some just really can't pay great. And so sure. one of the things that pastors do when they're recruiting staff, because they can't compensate with money, they want to compensate with like a seat at the table, voice, and influence. Sure. So a, a lot of partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. there's this promise like, hey, you know what? It's going to be you and me, and we're going to build this thing together, yep. and we're going to make all arm the... To you're arm. Gonna, yeah, you're yeah. going to be on the inside of everything. And then I know people and have friends that have said, yep. oh, that sounds great. I want to be a part of that. So they join that team. And then those promises do not get delivered on. Mm-hmm. And that is super destructive to people. Oh, sure. I mean, I know I know people who have left jobs that they really enjoyed for that opportunity to yep. step into greater influence and greater leadership because it didn't exist where they were at. Yep. And then they've uprooted themselves and are somewhere else for something that never happened. Yeah. 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 And so I, I just think the point is like what we promise and what we deliver can cannot be different. Right. With the exception of we were talking about this yesterday yeah. and you said had this line, I'll paraphrase what I remember you saying, something to the effect of like, it's not that the terms can't change. But you owe that person a conversation. Absolutely. So if you what you pitched them on was a seat at the table, it's you and me, arm in arm, taking on the world, yep. and the terms change, and that's not going to happen. Sure. You have at least got to have the cojones to right. sit down with them and to tell them that that's not going to happen and why. Yeah. Even if you freaking lied to them. <laughs> You sure. never had to at least at least have the courage or, to be honest maybe, and to maybe say maybe like you made that promise, you gave them a seat at the table, and they were the worst. Yeah, but regardless, it's still you still have to own it, right? And you have to you have to be open handed with the fact that when you change the terms of what was agreed upon, that person now has the right to make a decision that it's no longer what they signed up for, and they're going to transition away. Yeah, and there sh- it shouldn't be scandalous, yep. and it should be something that the leadership owns a hundred percent. Yeah, so. Steward what God's given you, 
deliver what you promise. Number three is, uh, and this is going to be like super hard, I think, for some people mm. to hear and to really face, you might be the problem. Mm. Um, I served in uh, a ministry capacity years ago with uh, a lead pastor who was admittedly very gifted mm-hmm. in two or three things, and uh, and relationship was not really one of them. Sure. And, uh, and that's okay. Like everybody's got deficiencies, but the thing I think that was like the Achilles heel was this tendency to look around and when the church, again, going back to number one, when the church was not growing and they, we were not seeing the impact that he wanted to see, his tendency was to like look around the table and look around the church and blame people on the team for why. Yeah. So it's the children's person. It's the and eventually it came around after we'd kind of gone through everyone else, and then it was me. Sure. But what we never had a single conversation about was: is there anything in you, sure, <laughs> that might be hindering totally. our ability to grow? Yep. And I think that that's like. And so I would just say again: these are like this is a principle, not a rule. But I would say if you are a pastor who has had ex- has had high turnover, sure. everybody that's ever worked for you has turned over inside mm-hmm. 12 to 24 months. You're always dissatisfied yeah. with performance. No one's mm-hmm. ever good enough. Yep. Like no one ever performs up to your expectations. Totally. It's a really, really good time for you to take a retreat day and to spend a lot of time looking at yourself going, is maybe it's me. Sure. And the truth is, you may not be the best person to make that assessment. So mm. maybe you need to, if you've got a handful of people that you at least know love you, yeah. ask them, yeah. what is it in me that is making that like this happen? Like sure. maybe you are just cursed and, but th- at very least, maybe you suck at hiring people. Like yeah. it could be a lot, but you have some amount of ownership in the whole thing. Totally. I, I don't think that there has ever been anyone that has ever spun off of our team that we didn't have something oh, totally. to own. There's Absolutely. always something. Always. It may not be all you or right. all me, but there's always something. Always and shared. I just can't believe how many people I talk to that hearing from them, they have zero yeah. to own in the whole thing. Yeah. So um, I, just think it, it, I just think that's really important. <laughs> yeah. You might be the problem. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that or I'll just... I'll just good. step in front yeah. of the train on yeah. that one. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is good. You brought this up yesterday when we were getting ready for this, but um, mm. prioritize your leadership development. Yeah. And so I, I would just say, I think this is true of a lot of things. I did a preaching webinar um, on Saturday yeah. for a group, and one of the things I said, they asked me, I talked about um, preaching to the heart and emotions. And one of the things I said was that oftentimes those who uh, love theology the most understand emotions the least. Yeah. And I think in the, and I, again, that's a generalization, but it is a generalization for a reason. Yep. Um, And so in the same vein, I would say oftentimes those who love theology the most understand leadership the least as well. And I know this is something you're really passionate about and that you've thought a lot about, especially because you got to work for a great organization Mm -hmm. in the business market before you came into ministry. Sure. And so just talk about that. Yeah. I I mean, I think that um, just really being honest with yourself about how are you developing yourself as a leader? Because the truth is you might have uh, gone to college and undergrad and then got your MDiv and then came out and became a senior pastor and then God bless your church to grow. And now you have a staff and at no point for any amount of time have you led anyone across the street. Right. And I think that as a result of that, oftentimes, and I think you're so focused and and rightfully so, but so focused on 
you know, faithfully like preaching the word and, and understanding the text and what does the Greek say and all of that, that like there's just zero time or energy given on to like, how am I leading these people? The truth is you're, you're the leader of an organization. I mean, mm-hmm. in a lot of circles, you're like the CEO. Now I'm not advocating for a CEO type leadership model at a church. Yeah, or that language even. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. That, but but the, the idea being you're mm-hmm. the person at the top of the organization yeah. uh, that, you know, typically will report to or work alongside a board, yeah. but you're responsible for the day-to-day leadership of that organization. And it's really complicated because yeah. you've got staff members, you've got people who are volunteers. So people who like, um, the ol- if the only thing you've got in leading your volunteers is like, it, you're like serving the Lord and that's it. I, I'm here to tell you, people can faithfully serve the Lord at a lot of churches in your town. <laughs> right. And so if, if that's the only thing that like, you know, heavenly treasures thing, well, you know, I think my treasure will be the same at the church where the pastor. They're like nice college credits; they, they right. transfer all over <laughs> right. the place. Yeah, like like <laughs> and and I just don't think that you're like locked down at that one. <laughs> right. And uh, and I think as a result, so many guys neglect mm-hmm. the growth and development of themselves as a leader. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's so damaging. I see that over and over and over again. And I talk to staff members, and I like. And I do my best, and 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 unfortunately, I do find that it like what you've said is true. That if your real passion mm-hmm. is theology, because uh, so many of those like theologically rich books don't ever even broach right. the idea of leadership. I think a lot of times it's a lot, uh, some different streams, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, I don't love this terminology, but maybe more like kind of a seeker focused yeah. area yeah. Uh, that, that tend to... Uh, include that in to what you're doing. And I just think that that, I also think that while there are a few uh, good leadership books written by maybe pastors or things like that, there's a ton of them that are spectacular that are written by people that maybe are not directly or overtly Christian Mm -hmm. or uh, write it from Christian principles. But the truth is... um, uh, treating people well, mm-hmm. loving people faithfully, developing them on to like who God's created them to be. Those are all great biblical principles. Right. And just because somebody frames it in a different way doesn't mean we should dismiss everything they have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I was even reading or last weekend when I was teaching in First Peter, I was talking about that in Peter's mind, when he says that we're supposed to live an exemplary life, um, he talks about moral excellence, and and oftentimes we read that and we think about we're supposed to be morally superior. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, contextually, what Peter's talking about is that, that that there will oftentimes be cultural values and biblical values that do, in fact, overlap. Sure. And when they do, we, as followers of Jesus, should strive to be exemplary in those areas. Sure. And so I would say, in this conversation, good leadership is something that is both a cultural and a biblical value. And as a result, Christian leaders should be the best leaders. Sure. Theoretically. Absolutely. Or should be striving to be. And so I would argue, you don't, as a, as a pastor, because again, to your point, many have this track. It's like school, 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 and now I'm a leader. Yep. And that's tough. Now I'm in charge. Right. And so mm-hmm. I would say, I don't think every pastor has to be a great leader. Because there's not a ton of great leaders, sure. but you can't be a crappy one. Right. And too many, too many times in ministry, like the issues that lead to the lo- the loss of people and staff and people being hurt, it so often boils down to like we just were really not effective in the way that we led. Sure. And don't use your lack of experience 
as a scapegoat. Right. Like, well, you know, no one ever taught me how to do this. Get a book, <laughs> right. you know, like watch a watch a series, man. Like just like uh, like download Larry Osborne's YouTube channel and uh -huh. watch every one of them over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many things out there, even in the Christian world of people who are really I mean, I've got we've gotten a chance to, um, you know, learn a lot from Larry. We brought him up quite a few times on this podcast. And the truth is, um, he almost primarily talks about leadership, yeah. Any anything that we've gone to. And I know that he deeply loves the Bible, but he feels like there's a real gap in this yeah. area in the church. And so that's what they're trying to fill, fill there at North Coast with their training arm and all of that. And I can't agree more. I think mm -hmm. that it's just so important that we work hard. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of ways to go about it. I know. So I spent 10 years working for Starbucks. Yep. And one of the things that would regularly happen for me in my life, uh, as so I was a district manager, mm -hmm. I had, um, I don't know, sometimes I had up to 25 stores when we were going through transition. Mm -hmm. I, you know, in each store had, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 partners. So I'd yeah. have 300 people that I was responsible for. And as a result, uh, the people from HR at Starbucks are called partner resources representatives yeah. would meet with my team of managers. I was not invited to the meeting and she would conduct what was called a start, stop, continue. And so there were three big flip charts on the wall. And one was, what do we want Tyler to start doing? What do we want Tyler to stop doing? And what do we want Tyler to continue doing? Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, that will make you quiver oh, like yeah. nothing else. Yeah, when humbling. you know that's going to, when, when the person responsible for firing you, whether or not you get promoted, all of that is going to sit with your managers in an anonymous environment from you and ask those questions. Yeah. Like, but it's helpful. And yeah. I always learned so much from it. Yeah. And I guess I, I think, uh, so one, I don't care how effective you might think of yourself as a leader. No one is like, I'm going to crush this. Right. No one thinks that. And if you do, like you're the worst. Yeah. So don't think that. Yeah. That said, if the idea of someone conducting that on your church staff, maybe maybe the chairman of your board or something like that, meeting with your staff one-on-one -on -one or in yep. a group environment and asking those questions, if that's something you're totally close to, uh, I think there's a huge problem. Yeah. Because I think that we should strive to lead in such a way where that doesn't mean we come out of those situations totally unscathed, but we absolutely lead in such a way to where we know that can happen and it's only going to make us better. Yeah. And it's not something that we're like, well, no, uh, we can't give people an opportunity to do that. Or if you have never sat down with someone who reports to you and said, hey, is there anything that I'm doing that's unhelpful? Is there any way I can communicate more effectively? How am I doing at encouraging you? How am I, all of those kinds of things, like it's not just like how to like interpret this verse, but mm -hmm. it's also like, how can I like lead and love you more faithfully? Um, whether it's in your home, whether it's uh, at your uh a church, whatever it might be, that kind of development is so important and so crucial to having teams that are going to be with you for the long term. Yep. Super, super good. All right. So that's prioritize your leadership development. And lastly, we want to talk about the need to never stop working on your emotional health. Mm. Never stop working on your emotional health. So many of, and this, I think this ties into almost every single one that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. there, they, there is overlap between them. But this one in particular, I think, ties into the first one, you know, like that that insatiable need for more. That's an emotional health issue yep. in your life, mental mm -hmm. health issue. Like you're not whole, and that's a problem. Sure. And so I would say I went through a good sum of my life believing that I was super emotionally healthy. Yeah. And then um, in a matter of a couple of months 
God made it evident to me that I was not <laughs> in a pretty shocking for me sure. way. I don't think it was shocking to anyone else. Yeah. And there were these little like I think these hints that God was dropping along the way mm-hmm. that I was just like not seeing. Sure. And and then he really helped me see it. And so it has been like it has been I mean nonstop for 10 months mm-hmm. every day. I'm real serious about this yeah. because of how much my lack of emotional health has impacted me and impacted the people around me. Mm. The worst decisions that I've made in the last 10 years were emotional health related. Mm. I made them because of, because of that issue. Yeah. And so I think just in closing on this point, what I would say is, number one, don't, ju- don't just assume you are. I literally thought because I could go through hard things and not cry, I was emotionally healthy. So that tells you what I thought about you. Oh yeah, I was going to say wow. <laughs> I was Whole I was team of therapists on me, huh? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, and but genuinely, I just thought like be, I thought because I was emotionally like when it comes to crying and things like that because yeah. I was stable and because I could uh, because I was um, resilient, mm-hmm. I just equated that with emotional health, yep. and it's not. Yep. You know, like I was functioning in a subhuman way, and I was uh, keeping back the deepest parts of me from God and from others, and yep. that's a significant, mm. in in ineffective way to lead. And so I would just say you need to actually explore that. The place that I would start is the Emotionally Healthy Leader by Pete Scazzaro. It's an excellent book, and it also has an assessment inside of it for okay. you that will help you, if, if it, you're anything like me, will help you see the areas that you really needed work and growth. Yeah. And uh, so again, so all of this to say, just kind of like bringing this thing to a close, all of this, the an unwillingness to slay these dragons mm. and to think about these things and push into these will keep us from being able to have the same people around us for sure. a long season of time. Yep. I guess I'm making an assumption that, like, I've always wanted that. Yeah. I like that, and I'm making an assumption that other people do as well. Maybe they don't. Yeah. That's probably something to look at as well. Yep. But I think this is one thing that we've, like, that people have commented on that have been in a relationship with us yeah. from other, like, other pastor friends that we've had these same relationships around us. We don't have very many ministry relationships that we are not at least still friends with. Totally. And I just think most ministry people I know have this long list of Mm -hmm. betrayals and enemies and like, what are you, like a Marvel superhero? Why do you have so many (laughs) supervillains in your life? I just don't think that's what God intends for us. And so I think if we press in on and we focus on these things, it it will enable us to keep these same rich relationships around us for a very long time. No. Anything you want to add to that? Nope. Good. Not good, but I mean, if you had something great, I'm, I'm, I'd be pumped to hear we're it. We're good. We're All good. Right. All right. We're going to be back next week. Not true. And uh, Oh, no. Not, not next week. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's my birthday. I'm turning 40. I'm taking the week off to party with I my I was going to say, is it your birthday or is it your birthday week? It's my birthday week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. It's, I mean, it's going to be my the start of my birthday month is more the way I'm thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. But uh, starting so, a little early, but that's so cool. <laughs> so we talked this week about Slayer Dragons. Uh, our next episode is going to be Love Like It's Your Job, 
And so we'll be back uh, to talk about that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you have not yet, if you could do us a favor, especially on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, if you could um, both subscribe and uh, leave a review or the stars or whatever it is that you do, yep. that has so much to do with uh, how many people actually see and gain access to the podcast. And so if you enjoy From the Field, that would be a tremendous gift. You can follow me on Instagram at, at Ryan Hughley. That's H. H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. Or at Tyler Drabitz. That's at T-Y-L-E-R-D-R-E-W-I-T-Z. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back with you in a couple weeks. See ya.